0: Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everyone. Shep Hyken here on Amazing Business Radio on the CBS Play It Network. And as always, I'm excited because we have another great guest in the house. Tom Egemeyer is the president at Genesis. Genesis is really uh, a company that I would say focuses on customer experience. And if you know what I do for a living, and many of you do, I'm a customer service and experience expert. What we're going to talk about today with Tom is about how to not just deliver a better customer experience, but on an international level, what are some of the ways and things that are different about doing business internationally and creating a great experience for them? Cultural differences, uh, mistakes that people have made, things we need to look out for, because I believe that eventually, if we're not already doing it, uh, the world The world is getting smaller. The internet has made small businesses become global operations. We are, if we're not already doing it, going to be doing business internationally. Tom's going to give us some great ideas on how to create a better customer experience. So Tom, welcome to Amazing Business Radio.
1: Thanks, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here with you and your listeners.
0: Well, thanks. So let's start off with a little background on yourself. Tell us a little bit about you. I know you're president of Genesis. Tell us a little bit about what Genesis does and give us uh, some background on how you got into this and how you and what leads us to this point here today.
1: Sure. Well, uh, Genesis, like you said, is a customer experience software company, and we're really focused on uh, enabling our customers to Uh, make great customer experiences for their customers. And so we've got a bunch of Fortune 500 customers and uh, really from large to small, uh, but we're really focused on making the um, Airbnbs, the Red Hats of the world, the Emirates Airlines of the world uh, provide great customer experience to their customers.
0: All right, now you're dropping some big names, by the way. I'm impressed.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Really good names in the customer experience space uh, we're lucky to have with some of our customers.
0: So, so go ahead. How you got into this? You're getting ready to say before I rudely interrupted sure. you.
1: No, not at all. Um, so kind of odd background, uh, Shep. I actually have a uh, JD, a law degree.
0: I know that and, scares uh, me.
1: I it should scare you a little <laughs> bit. Uh, but uh, I uh, practiced for about a year and just realized it wasn't my uh, thing. And uh, so I had a friend from uh, my uh, undergraduate college uh, experience that was out in Silicon Valley in 1998 when the unemployment rate was about zero percent out here. And so I had a heartbeat. Uh, and uh, so they were hiring, and so I went into uh, sales and marketing, uh, had the opportunity to live uh, different parts of the world, spent four or five years in Paris, France, and uh, uh, four years ago moved back to the U.S. uh, to uh, uh, work at Genesis full-time in the uh, software space in Silicon Valley.
0: Wow, wow. So, So you've lived internationally, and I think that's what we want to talk about today. Is what's different about doing business in other parts of the world? And I know it goes far beyond Paris for you. You mentioned Emirates, which is over in the Middle East. Uh, You mentioned Airbnb, which is really becoming international. I'm just amazed at that company. I mean, here's a company that's basically in the lodging industry that doesn't own one hotel. I, 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 it blows me away. Same, it's like Uber. You know, they're in the taxi cab transportation business type of industry and, and they don't own one vehicle themso- other than their own personal vehicles that the executives right. drive. Blows me away. But anyway, uh, as I digress, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that international activity and background that you have. Um, what are the skills required to operate business internationally? Let's just start uh, by asking that.
1: Well, I I think, you know, and I think most of your audiences are are Americans. And as Americans, you're going to go in with a uh, preconceived notion in most foreign cultures that uh, they're going to think Americans are a little arrogant, uh, are not humble enough, won't listen. And so what I really suggest to people is uh, they really spend some time listening when they're in a different country. Uh, Really do some studying about what country you're going to go and visit or do business in. And try to understand three or four facts. I can't tell you how beneficial it is if you go into a place like Belgium and you understand the difference between a Wallonian uh, and a Flemish person and the cultural identity of Belgium and the history. You get instant credibility uh, because, quite frankly, a lot of people, they like Americans, but they have a perception that uh, we, quite frankly, don't understand uh, how to do business in different cultures in different countries.
0: You know, I'm amazed. All you have to do is just try – a little bit. Um, I did a presentation many, many years ago down in Mexico and it was an entire Spanish-speaking audience. They were on headsets uh, for simultaneous translation. I would speak in English and it would be translated uh, and it was funny as I would tell a joke it would take a second or two for the translator to finish the punchline after I was finished and then the laughter would come. But what, what I did to start things off is I started off in Spanish and you could tell the people in the audience were very impressed. And after about maybe, I'm going to say at the most, 15 words of Spanish, I stopped and said, that's pretty much all I know. But I thought it would be a great way to open. And it's like from that moment, it, it, they were, I'm not going to say they were eating out of my hand, but they, you know, I had crossed the line. There was no barrier between, you know, language and the fact that I was American and, and they were down there. So it was, it was a great way to do it. I, I basically showed a little effort. And I think that's so much. Sometimes all it takes is just a little effort.
1: Totally agree with you, Chef. It's a little effort, it's the little things. Another example uh, is Americans, at least myself maybe, uh, tend to talk quickly. And a big believer when you're in a foreign country, English is their second language most of the time. Speak very slowly, like I'm doing right now, and speak uh, small words. And after living in Paris for four or five years and traveling a lot internationally, I came back, you know, during holiday breaks and things to the U.S., and it was funny, my f- uh, friends and family used to say, hey, Tom, what happened to you over there? You seem to be, have gotten a lot dumber because I was using such small words and speaking so slowly. But, uh, you know, little things like that, your Spanish example in Mexico, you uh, absolutely convinced they really go a long way
0: right and by the way uh speaking slowly does not necessarily require you to speak louder <laughs> have, you ever, <laughs> absolutely. have you ever noticed when somebody doesn't understand you you start speaking louder they can hear you just fine they just don't <laughs> understand you
1: exactly and again we have a reputation as americans for uh falling into that trap uh, all too often visiting foreign countries
0: Right. All right, so what lessons can be learned from the work that you've done uh, opening up some some new areas and new territories that you've done business in?
1: Sure. So I'd always say, you know, all business is is local, and you really need to hire people in, you know, a local country uh, to really start off the business. And I'll give you another example or one or two examples. I think a lot of American companies go over to Europe, and they start with their office in the U.K., uh, or they go to Asia and Australia, and New Zealand, and start up with their office in Australia uh, because it's the same culture, it's not the same, similar culture, or same language. Uh, but that might be the easy choice, uh, and then they try to expand from the UK into a place like uh, Spain by flying people in from the UK. And I'm a big believer when you're looking to expand your business internationally, you need to get local people with local knowledge. I mean, uh, one of the mistakes I made in my uh, career is we were expanding our Spanish business at one point, And I had some people from Madrid go down to Barcelona. And uh, they were did nothing for a year. They didn't sell anything, didn't create any relationships. Uh, and you know, it just taught me the lesson that you know, it's like having someone from maybe New York City go down to Mississippi and try to start a business. It's just not going to work. And so, having local people instead of you know, wasting the year I spent uh, with a bunch of hires in Madrid, Spain, trying to go to Mar- Barcelona, Spain, uh, get local people that understand those nuances, trust their judgment, empower them, uh, and maybe go against the the normal operating plan of you know, starting your business in Europe and the UK, and look at the Netherlands or somewhere else. Uh, that might have a more continental feel and be able to allow you to expand more rapidly in a market.
0: Yeah. And so even if you're not expanding internationally, but you decide to do business nationally here in the U.S., where we are, uh, you just mentioned it. If you're in New York and you're trying to do business down in Mississippi, it's almost like another country. It's another culture. And there's um a concept in business called behavioral styles where and many times this is used in in the process of hiring somebody or determining whether somebody's right for a position in a company they they take an assessment a behavioral style assessment for lack of a better term you can call it a test if you will although it's not a test of what you're good at it's just a, a way to for others to understand that you are more of this type of personality than another personality and What's interesting is in the typical world of behavioral style assessments, uh, probably the most popular one is a program called DISC, D-I-S-C. Now, many people listening to this show won't have any idea what that's about. But basically, it determines whether you're more social or a little bit more introverted, whether you are a take control kind of a person, or whether you tend to be more compliant and are really good at following direction. And there are no wrong answers. It's just that's the way you're wired. And what many uh, people do is they say, okay, once you learn your own style, you should learn about the other styles because in different situations, you need to adapt to those styles. In other situations, the people will have to adapt to you. But if you are going from New York down to Mississippi – you definitely have to slow it down. They they talk different down there. And by the way, they, it's not whether they're smart or not smart. It's just they have a different style, a different way of doing business. And if you decide you want to go over to, uh, I know, I've done work in the Middle East. I've done work over in, in Asia, uh, South America. I've been fortunate to be able to go to South Africa. And every one of these cultures, there is a way of doing business that you have to adapt to. And I know what my strength is, and I know what I need to uh, if i'm here in the u.s easy to do but if i'm deciding to do business with somebody in in uh you know the, the uh you know emirates countries i need to be able to you know to just handle myself differently plan accordingly schedule things out a little differently than i might normally do it
1: i, I couldn't I couldn't agree more with you shep you know um uh both my uh grandparents all my grandparents should they both all four of my grandparents were from kentucky and my uh Grandfather and uh, uh, grandmother ran a little corner store, the Canasel Food Mart, uh, in uh, Covington, Kentucky. And uh, I've you know, been the to way Covington. You've been to Covington, right <laughs> I've been right? to Covington, Cincinnati. That was great. Small world. And you know, the, the, you know, the how you do business in Northern Kentucky and Covington, uh, you know, in a small business versus how you do business in you know New York or even California is fundamentally different. And to your point, you're not going to change your personality as a business person. But if you kind of understand those nuances on how maybe in Kentucky you're going to spend a little more time, and I think in a good way, because maybe it's my background, uh, being raised in Ohio and spending a decent amount of time in Kentucky, uh, you're going to spend a lot more time getting to know the person personally versus, you know, my experience maybe on the East Coast, you're going to go get down to business pretty quickly. And, you know, understanding those nuances, understanding, uh, uh, you know, how emotional you can be in a, in a meeting. You know, in, uh, in France, uh, people want you to be a little emotional and really have passion uh, you know, versus, you know, a couple hundred miles away in Germany, uh, if you have that emotion, people are going to frown upon that. They're going to want you to be very rational. Uh, it's okay to be confrontational in Germany, but it's got to be on a rational fact basis. Those little things just go uh, a long way in doing business, even in the U.S. or uh, or internationally.
0: Right. I, I did a speech um, over in Germany just last year, and the client was really clear with me. He says, just so you know, the German audience does not appreciate the speaker." that gets up and tells stories they don't mind the story as long as you get to the point quickly the u.s speakers tend to go on and on and on and try to make (laughs) jokes and i get it i get it you know to the point make sure it happens and and you know that adjustment probably saved me because if i would have gone in and done my regular speech you know, the ratings might have been, might not have been as well as they should have. So, can you give some more examples of like what's different? Um, I'm mean, I mean, obviously, you know, Kentucky and Mississippi is different than up in New York and totally different than California, where everything's a lot more laid back. Uh, you mentioned France and uh, you mentioned Germany. What about other parts of the world?
1: Sure, in Japan, I have to admit, I've spent a lot of time there, uh, the last four or five years. Uh, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm flying uh, two to three hundred thousand miles a year, so I'm really getting get around the globe and uh, seeing people in uh, different cultures. And uh, Japan was a you know uh, eye opener for me. Uh, I didn't do as much business up until about four or five years ago in Japan as I had in other regions, uh, in other countries. And uh, you know, I, I thought it was uh, quite honestly. Um, strange, and I think that's a bad attitude to have to go into a country the way they do business, and you have to respect it. But in Japan, you know, I found a lot of the meetings that I go to, uh... the, uh, the really almost theater, where what everyone's going to say, how they're going to say it, when they're going to say it, uh, is all preordained, and the outcome of the meeting is preordained. And you know, as an American with a lot of international experience, I hadn't uh, seen such a you know such a theater, such a, almost a script that we had to go through. But uh you know, I came to appreciate that you had to do that during the day, but the most important thing uh, you know, for building a relationship even there, even though uh it's you know you're not doing a lot of confrontation, it's very fact based in those scripted meetings. In Japan, you know, you need to talk to your customers at night, uh, you know, over a uh, you know, a beer or a soda or whatever, and, and that's where you can get that emotional attachment that you're simply just not gonna get uh any way, shape or form uh during your work day. Uh, in Japan, and so things like that, you know, I always advise people that uh, you know try to embrace the different culture, don't think it's strange. And I know that's sometimes my first impression. Hey, it's strange how they do business. Instead, they do it a different way. Respect it. Try to understand it, uh, and you know, just go with the flow. That it's really important uh, for uh, in Japan to show, you know, a senior person coming into the country paying respects. Uh, to his or her customer, and to go through the script, the theater uh, of Japan during the day.
0: Yeah, so, and by the way, if you think the way they do business is strange, they think, and it doesn't matter if it's Japan or anywhere, they think whatever you do and how you do it is probably strange as well. Absolutely. So we're going to come back in just a moment with some more examples. We're going to take a quick break. We've been talking with Tom Egemeyer, the president of Genesis. We're talking about the customer experience across borders. Don't go away. This is Amazing Business Radio. We'll be right back. How would you like customer service training anytime you want it or need it, day or night? Well, with Shepherd Virtual Training, you will have world-class customer service training at your fingertips online 24-7, 365 days a year. Just go to www.shepondemand.com. Once again, that's shepondemand.com. And remember, always be amazing. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Hello, everyone. Shep Hyken, and we are back on Amazing Business Radio talking with Tom Egemeyer about doing business internationally and the different customer experiences uh, that we have to adapt to and deliver in order to have great relationships. Just talking about Japan, and uh, one of the things I know is that is, is this formal meeting that's somewhat scripted uh, Tom, it sounds to me like the outcome is preordained as well. Not, It's not just scripted. It's like a, almost a formality, and we know what's going to happen. Is that is that right?
1: Yes. My experience is, um, you know, Japanese business leaders don't like to be surprised. So uh, before I go into any meeting in Japan, it's usually two or three or four different levels of people have literally scripted uh, who's going to talk first, who's going to talk second, what we're going to talk about, and what the outcome of the meeting. So it's more of a formality, but... Uh, Again, it's very important culturally, my experience, to understand that, to go through the formality because, um, you know, you're sealing whatever formal outcome has been preordained at a high level in the organization, and I think both uh, sides really like that commitment. Uh, from uh, senior leaders at both sides. And so you usually don't have the uh, free-flowing exchange uh, you might have in other cultures. Uh, on the other hand, there's usually not a surprise. And, uh, you know, I, I've had the unfortunate situation where I uh, interjected one or two surprises into meeting uh, where the other side I could tell uh, was not pleased. They didn't really show it, but they showed it a little, uh, you know, in, in their face that they were surprised at what I was talking about, and that probably wasn't the best thing to do.
0: Yeah, and by the way, uh, over in Japan, when they're upset with you, They don't, like, verbalize it. They don't yell at you. They just look at you a certain way, and you go, okay, I know. I must have done something wrong. (laughs) I call it the angry eyes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, uh, I had a lot of angry eyes at me that uh, meeting. I I really remember where I uh, – didn't go through the right uh, motions, and I brought some things up un- unexpectedly.
0: So, what are some other examples in other parts of the world? Uh, I know culturally, uh, I did some business over in, in the Middle East, and quite different. I mean, just uh, the idea of not shaking hands uh, with women, uh, where in the U.S., you know, if you don't shake hands with a woman, sometimes the woman feels like they're disrespected. Uh, they're uh, trying to shake hands is, is truly disrespectful.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, you know, I, I always again. This is why I think it's important to have uh, local people. That even when I, you know, I, I've been in the Middle East uh, probably 20, 30 times. I've even traveled with my family there four or five times. And uh, little things like absolutely need to shake with your right hand. You cannot touch someone, even a man, with your left hand. Um, is you know really important. Uh, how you interact with women, shaking hands and other things. Um, I always really make sure I ask locally before I do that. Uh, because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not. Uh, they let Americans and other people from foreign cultures, you know, have a little leeway. But again, you don't want to do something uh, that's uh, inappropriate. And, and again, I think, like in the Middle East, uh, the fact that I've brought my family there, you know, half a dozen times, that we, uh, whenever we go, we go to, uh, you know, the old city in Dubai at the souks, or I tell them that we've been to uh, the Jumeirah Mosque. Uh, you know, when they have an, an interfaith day to expose my, you know, my family, my wife, my two children. Uh, things like that go a lot, long way in the Middle East because, uh, they like to see that you understand their history and their culture and you respect it, I think is important. Just as important as making sure you get the handshakes and the lack of hugs, uh, and, uh, you know, the dress appropriate as well.
0: Right. I mean, that my, my big mistake was I was, uh, just, uh, again, last year traveling over, uh, was working in, uh, Doha and Qatar, uh, which is in Qatar, Qatar, uh, was, uh, over in uh, Bahrain, the kingdom of Bahrain in Oman. And I traveled for four days with this particular gentleman, the CEO of his company, and his assistant with, was, was with us. And she took amazingly great care of us. Uh, and I was doing so well. I recognized the customs. Uh, I bowed my head. I thanked her. But at it, it, no point did I ever attempt to reach my hand out and thank her with a handshake. But On the way out, I thanked my friend, uh, and we became friends. And I think that's also part of it is you become friends uh, sometimes with the people you do business with. And I think that's uh, a case all over the world. But I looked over at her, and she was there, and I just gave her a big American hug (laughs) and and just because that's naturally what I would do. Right. And I realized, oh, my, I just blew it. I I did so well for four days, and I could tell there was so much tension at that moment. And I apologized profusely and and did what I – I could to try to overcome it, but I realized I had made the mistake, and I uh, felt really bad. But
1: you know. I'm sure you overcame it, though. Again, my experience is as long as you've tried, even if you make a major faux pas, uh, people really in, in most cultures are understanding that, uh, especially if you build up credibility for three or four days, that you've, you've acted appropriately. You've, you've listened. You've been humble. You've understood their culture and history. Even if you make a faux pas, they're pretty understanding.
0: So are there any crazy experiences that you have or crazy customs that you've noticed Uh, that you know just really stand out as different?
1: Yeah um, I I, I I won't say the country because I don't want to demean anyone from the country but I was uh, in in a place where um, you know if you were not drinking a specific alcoholic beverage uh, with your customer they would not uh, trust you and so you know out one late uh, with a number of customers and business colleagues uh, pretty late uh, in the night uh, you know uh, drinking some uh, alcohol with them, and in the next morning, um, you know, uh, didn't feel the greatest uh, in, in the world. But uh, you know, at 9 a.m., they said, "Hey, Tom, good news. We're not going to be uh, drinking anymore." And I'm like, "Oh, great!" Because you know, we're in a business meeting now. Uh, we're not going to be drinking what we were drinking. Instead, we're going to be drinking whiskey. And oh. <laughs> I think I about f- I about fell over in my chair, thinking, "Oh my gosh, 9 a.m. whiskey!" But uh, you know, that was one um, one thing that I always kind of felt funny. Another thing was when I lived in uh, France. Uh, I, I learned quickly that all, even what you decided in the meeting might not matter because uh, really what happens, real decisions are made at the coffee machine. So you can have your formal uh, meeting. I thought we had agreed to everything, but I found out I was reversed at the coffee machine about five minutes later. And So that was a good learning experience that pre- and post-meetings, uh, I started building a little time to my schedule uh, with customers and in, internal employees to make sure uh, I was spending the time at the uh, coffee machine so I knew what was really going on.
0: Well, let's switch gears altogether, and I don't know, this isn't even part of what we planned on talking about. It's not in any of the questions that we've come up with prior to this. But, you know, doing business here in the U.S., if I decide I want to go global, yet I'm a small business, the easiest way is create a website, and I can sell my wares internationally. I mean, anybody can get to it. Anything on on the, uh, I guess, online e-commerce side of things that we would want to be aware
1: of? Uh, Well, first of all, I I think you want, if possible, and there's people that you can get to translate your website uh, into uh, other languages for a, a pretty reasonable price, is absolutely you can start in English, but I would really be aware, number one, of uh, If you really want to target a couple markets internationally, to make sure it's in local language. And Great local idea. Languages, even even in the U.K., uh, make sure that you're doing the British spelling, uh, the, as they would say, the correct spelling, right, of all uh, the English words. I just wrote uh, an that, article
0: for a client over there, and they said, everything looks good, but we're going to edit for the way we spell.
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh, they always joke with me when I'm over there, I speak American. I don't speak proper English. And so that would be one number two would be in e-commerce definitely you need to make sure that you understand the local tax rules whether it's corporate income tax sales tax VAT taxes whatever because i think uh you know as a small business you can get uh into trouble pretty quickly with taxing authorities if you're running out of business out of the u.s and you're uh you know selling your goods and services in other countries and so um you know, as a former lawyer, lawyer, I hate to go recommend to get uh, to have someone go get a lawyer or an accountant, but I, I really think it's important if you're going to do a material amount of business in another country to understand uh, not just the cultural elements uh, that you want to do and the little things like uh, like you said, you got to spell everything correctly in the local language, but also make sure that you're uh, not running in rye of any you know, uh, tax or uh, regulations.
0: Yeah, I think money spent on an attorney for that type of 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 issue is probably not very expensive number one and number two it's however little or even how much it costs it's money well spent absolutely so great well we're going to take another short break and when we do come back we're going to talk about how uh what you you think some of the companies that are really doing it right are that are out there that are just nailing it examples and role models that we can learn from does that sound good
1: Sounds great,
0: Chef. Awesome. So we'll take a quick break. My name's Chef Heiken. We're talking with Tom Egemeyer and this is Amazing Business Radio. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Doesn't everyone love Disney? I know I do. And I also love a great book, and Lessons from the Mouse by Dennis Snow is an excellent book. Dennis shares 10 practical principles from Disney and entertains as he educates. So check out Dennis No's book on Amazon.com. Once again, it's titled Lessons from the Mouse, a guide for applying Disney World's secrets of success to your organization, your career, and your life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Shep Hyken here back on Amazing Business Radio. We're talking with Tom Agemeyer, president of Genesis, who uh, a company that specializes in customer experiences. Tom's traveled all over the world. We've been talking about the different customs that different countries have, how you might do business. We even got into a little bit of e-commerce, what you can do uh, if you're a small business or even a big business that's predominantly in one country and want to expand into another country. Now I just want to hear about some of the companies that are just great role models that we can maybe uh, study their what they're doing, whether it be their website, find out a little bit more about them, and just who's doing it right. That's my question, Tom. Who's doing it right?
1: Yeah, one of the companies, and we mentioned them earlier. Uh, I think is a great example is Emirates Airline, uh, based out of uh, Dubai in the uh, United Arab Emirates. Uh, they've just got a maniacal focus. On uh, customer service, and uh, if you ever fly them, it's just down to the really, really small things uh, that they're making sure they really want to delight everyone. Whether you're, you know, flying in business class or economy, uh, you know, I've had some of my best customer experiences in economy class in row like 87 on Emirates Airlines. It's just the way they check you in; uh, they really want to make sure that you have a great personalized experience. Uh, If you call into their contact center, they've got people with, uh, you know, 36 different languages around the world. And so uh, they take it to another level. I think uh, most people just want, uh, when they call into a contact center, a customer experience, get something done quick, efficiently, fast. Uh, if you can do that as a company, you're doing fantastic. But people like Emirates and Apple and other, they really just take it to that next level where it's custom, personalized experience where you really feel like a valued customer. And that's just one example with Emirates Airlines.
0: Well, I know that um, I, 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 want, I want all of the airlines here in the U.S. that are listening to this show to go and learn from Emirates because I know Southwest does a really nice job. And actually, I've been pretty impressed with Delta lately. Uh, for a big airline, they're, they're starting to do good things, but some of the others, and, and I won't name, uh, the airline I I fly most of the time, let's just call them AA for anonymous airlines or American airlines, however you want to say they actually treat me pretty well, but here's what I've noticed, not just on American, but on many airlines, if you are sitting in row 87 or anywhere past those first few rows with the bigger seats, you get treated differently. And I understand you would get treated differently based on the level of service, but as far as the personality and the way you're treated as a person shouldn't be any different
1: sure and and I think you know my I, like I told you before, chef, I fly two to three hundred thousand miles a year and I fly on just about every carrier globally and I can tell you I've really have seen a difference uh, since I moved back to the u s about four or five years ago American airlines I really feel like they stepped up their game and uh, It's one of those interesting things where uh, I think airlines are a really easy target. uh, And, you know, you have great experiences like Emirates, but also places like uh, American – you know, I think as consumers, and this is maybe one of the uh, lessons I learned in uh, France, is uh, you had to be a good customer to get great service in France. And if you weren't a great customer, and that might sound weird. You weren't going to get great service. And the same thing with airlines is, uh, you know, unfortunately, we all want to go and travel on the cheapest ticket possible, right, with, uh, you know, to get to New York, to San Francisco for $200. Bucks.
0: Yeah, and they've trained as us customer, to do that, by the way. They've they, trained they us to them. go after that low price.
1: You're right, but you're going to kind of get what you pay for, and um, you know, and so uh, it, it's just an interesting uh, uh, thing. But I think Americans really stepped up their game, at least my experience on flying them recently. But uh, you know, when I was in France, uh, you know, if you really took time out to understand your butcher or the, the local wine shop owner or the dry cleaner, and really invested in them, uh, you're just going to get a totally different kind of customer service than you would, uh, you know, if you're the, the nameless, faceless. Uh, customer, and that's kind of an interesting cultural uh, difference that I learned in France. That you really needed to, you know, be a good customer to receive good uh, customer service, which is, you know, totally, uh, you know, a, a new learning for us uh, in the U.S. It's not the same. It's
0: the counterintuitive. US. You would think that, hey, I'm paying for this. You need to treat me the right way. But at the same time, respect and loyalty goes both ways. I've written about this a number of times. I, I want uh, I want my company that I'm doing business with. The, the, you know, who who is supposed to be taking care of me. I want them to treat me in a way that would want to make me loyal. And if I go in with that attitude... Uh, I, and and by the way, that it's not one sided. In order to get that to happen, I have to do certain things. I have to step up and be willing to play their game. Uh, I want to be nice. You know, I walk up and you know, American Airlines is my favorite airline to fly, and I joke about them, and I think they've actually done a pretty good job. Um, it, it, I think all airline service, with the exception of Southwest, uh, have ebb and flowed over the years. Um, sure. you know, and and it's just all in the hiring and the training. We can get into that another day, but. You know, the the airlines, if I am if I walk up to the counter and the person is mad or angry, I simply really nicely say, I can tell. You're probably not the angry person that you appear to be right now. It was probably the passenger right before me that caused you to act this way. And you can see they immediately smile because they know that I get it. Passengers or customers sometimes aren't nice to people and when that's the case. It's really it takes a special person to be strong enough to let it just roll off their back and not take it personally
1: yeah I, I always empathize, uh, empathize a lot with uh, people like frontline uh, service representatives, whether they're on the phone, they're face to face because you know ninety nine out of hundred times you're calling in because you're unhappy with the service or product or good that you you know receive with that company. So all they hear is complaints all day, and to your point, you know it ha- it has to be wearing on them. Uh, you know, over the course of days and weeks and months, and it's interesting. I'm sure you've seen the uh, studies, Chef. But happy employees equal happy customers, for that very reason. The best predictor of uh, whether a company is measuring by net promoter score or customer effort score or customer satisfaction, uh, one of the best predictors of whether you're going to have a high uh, customer relationship score, a high customer satisfaction score, is how how happy your employees are. And right. So. Uh, you know, happy employees equal happy customers.
0: Right. And and the best I call this the employee golden rule which is to treat the people that you work with, your your fellow employees, the way you want your customers treated, if not even better. Uh, You set the example from inside the company. Leadership sets the tone. Uh, I always joke about how how a manager can't take an employee in the back room and scream at them and yell at them and say, you're doing a lousy job. And now get out there and be nice to the customer. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. There's a T-shirt that I saw that said, the beatings won't stop until the morale gets better. Uh, that was written on the t-shirt. I thought this is exactly the kind of thing that happens in companies. They treat their employees a certain way. They berate them. They, they tell them they're just not doing a great job over and over and over again, but then they expect them to turn around and be nice. But if you want your, these people to be nice to you and you're a customer, one of the things that I love to do is when I am calling for technical support is, and by the way, if I call for technical support or a question of any kind, or even a complaint, um, what, uh, and I'll give you an example. I, I just recently uh, had an issue with my hosting company for my Internet site. I happen to call, and the phone, it was a real simple question, but I was on a hold for 25 minutes. The simple question, what was just supposed to be a nice, friendly question I wanted a quick answer, turned into an angry customer Situation because I'd been on hold for 25 minutes. I mean, I was doing other things while the music was playing, but come on, 25 minutes is unreasonable. But uh, yesterday, my cable TV company, uh, I had an issue with my cable, and I called up, and and they said, uh, your call will be answered quickly, not even in the order received. And, uh, you know, boom, somebody came on. And this is how I said, what she said, her name, I believe, was Elena. And I said, hello, Elena, I am the luckiest guy right now. And she said, why? I said, because you are getting ready to take care of me, and you're going to solve my problem. And, boy, you could just tell she just opened up. And I don't know if she was smiling or not at that moment, but I felt that she was. And I think that's what you do. You treat people with respect and dignity, and in return, they will treat you that way.
1: Totally agree. And, uh, you know, I always preface it with when I talk to a customer service agent that, hey, I understand – this problem was not created by you. You have your process and procedures. I'm just here to try to go f- figure out a good solution for you, for your company and me, uh, rather than beating them up at the beginning. And uh, glad to hear that you know you called your cable operator and you had a really good customer. I know that doesn't you know, happen I very think, often
0: in today's industry, cable industry. Yeah, does it? but
1: there's th- there's things that, there's things happening, like you said, where uh, there's little things now. You know, in the technology space, and I don't want to get to. Uh, Techie here, but you know instead of having you wait for twenty five minutes on the phone, um, you know, they should have done a couple things. number one offered you a call back and right. you know, said, "Hey, Shep, we can call you back at this uh, number between twenty five and thirty five minutes from now." Would you like to do that or would you like to wait on the line would be a great thing. Number two, they should have known that it was, you know, you probably used your home phone, work phone, or your mobile phone, Shep, and they should have known it was Shep, who's a great customer, and so they should have, uh, you know, given you a personalized experience uh, pretty quickly and said, hey, you're a VIP customer and should have gone, uh, you know, right to an agent. Those are little things that uh, technology is allowing us uh, to really give that first personalized experience because they know a lot about you as a customer. And I think that's good. And number two, uh, use technology to make it easier. Again, a low customer effort because if it's easy for you, Shep, you're going to go into that call with a much different attitude versus waiting for 25 minutes. You're going to appreciate a back. You can plan your day around it. Little things like that can make a big difference.
0: Right. And let me guess, that is exactly the type of solution that Genesis can deliver. Yes.
1: I I, I, uh, I did not do the plug, Shep. I know. Well, there, hey, yeah. you know, we're almost to
0: the end of the show, so let's give Genesis a big plug. This is yeah, your chance.
1: Exactly. <laughs> all right. So those are exactly the kind of things that uh, Genesis can do. We really pride ourselves on again helping our customers, customers, and so making sure that when you call into your cable company, Shep, or when you call into that hosting company, they know who you are. They have actually a pretty good idea what you're probably calling about because if your website's down. Uh, that that you know that person that you're talking to should know that your website's down. They should know you're a VIP customer, and they should say, uh, "Shep, uh, sorry about this. Your website's down right now. I already have two people working on it. We estimate that you're going to be back up in five minutes. Uh, is there anything I can do for you?" I mean, that's the kind of customer experience that you know will uh, delight you and get that kind of Emirates or Apple uh, type of customer experience that everyone's wanting to have
0: you know and and i I love it when it happens that way the hey so a question for you uh and I mean, let's just let's jump away from the international cultural things that we've been talking about. Let's get into sure. the basic customer service and experience in the couple of minutes that we have here. There are other solutions beyond just calling somebody. there's instant chat, there's email, there's social media type responses. you get involved with those as well, yes.
1: Yeah, we do, and it, it's interesting. I, I know I, maybe I know too much now as a consumer. So what I do is I send an email, uh, I, I, I send a tweet. Uh, I'll tweet about a company. I'll call them. I'll do three or four things, and because I know a lot of companies uh, don't aggregate all those things and they treat them as silos. Different people respond, and so one of the key things now that we're seeing a trend in the customer experience space is companies that really get it. They think of uh, uh, one Airbnb, one Bank of America uh one british telecom one telstra and they really try to look at customers holistically whether you're contacting them face to face on the phone by email by sms or tweeting at them or posting something on facebook They want to know enough about you, so they put those all together into one conversation. Uh, And that you can't play the uh, game the system like I try to game the system. And uh, I go to four different channels and try to get the best response I can through those four channels because that's really costly for the company, which is bad for them. Uh, And, uh, you know, it encourages some bad behavior. So I think the really sophisticated, cutting-edge companies are really looking across what we call channels, however you want to contact them. Uh, in-face or digital channels or on the phone, they're going to treat you the same way uh, with the the same great experience.
0: And there's some amazing... I guess, intuitive software, for lack of a better term, or cognitive software. I think the big word, uh, or the big, uh, i have say the prediction for 2016, like, do you remember with The Graduate, the word was plastics, the movie back in the 60s, you know, yes. you want to invest, invest in plastics. Uh, well, I think the big phrase in 2016 will be cognitive analytics, but... Anything cognitive, what's happening is that software can now, if you send a tweet or you send a uh, an email uh, or you leave a voicemail message, the software can pick up on the words, understand the language, and actually sense the tone of the customer. And with incredible accuracy, they can tell from a simple uh, Facebook post or an email message that this customer is very upset and very angry. We need to take care of it right away. Um, it, it amazes me. Quick story, um, since let's let's give American Airlines a big plug. We've been talking about Emirates, and, and, and I don't want American when I jokingly call them anonymous airlines. I want them to know that they've taken great care of me. So I'm a pretty savvy traveler. I don't fly quite as much as you do because you do all that international. I do some international, probably about a half a dozen trips a year or so. But um, I'm flying one night, have to change planes in Dallas to get home to St. Louis, where I live. Terrible storms in Dallas. We're circling. It's obvious that I'm going to miss my flight unless the flight, according to the captain, like all the flights, were delayed. They're delayed. So I had Internet access. I went ahead and checked my flight. And sure enough, my flight was the only flight in the whole airport. It wasn't delayed, or it seemed like so. Or, so I was going to miss that connection. And I very quickly went on Twitter, and I direct messaged American Airlines, please help. I gave them my frequent flyer number. I'm on this flight changing planes in Dallas. With less than eight minutes, I get a response saying you are now protected on the next flight. That's pretty cool.
1: That, that's the that's the really cool stuff, That uh, to your point about cognitive analytics, that Uh, you know, companies can do now if they really implement, you know, great customer service. They can not only, also like you said, figure out your tone of voice, but also uh, try to uh, pair you with uh, someone to talk to that might share your interest. I'm a big University of Dayton uh, basketball fan. And, uh, you know, the software exists now that if I called into a contact center or tweeted into a contact center, they could uh, match me with someone from the University of Dayton, share some interest, talk about basketball, you know, try to create that emotional connection uh, with the person and with the brand while solving my problem. So you're right. I think there's going to be a huge trend on predictive analytics, cognitive analytics, really uh, that machine-to-machine learning with software that's going to pretty uh, transform the uh, software industry and transform the customer experience industry the next three to five years.
0: Well, wow. lots of great things are happening. Tom, we're unfortunately out of time. This has been a great show. Everybody, we've been talking with Tom Egemeyer, uh, the president of Genesis. And if you want to learn more about it, uh, learn more about Tom and learn more about Genesis, we're Genesis.com, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, dot com.
0: Yeah, and a great great ideas and great solutions in the world of customer service and support uh, with the software solutions that you have. But today, more than anything, great ideas that we heard from you related to the international and cultural differences and really even regional differences, even between how we do business on one side of the country here in the U.S. and the other side of the country. So... It's been a great conversation, Tom. Thank you very much for joining us. Everybody, thanks for listening in. My name's Shep Heiken. You've been listening to Amazing Business Radio. We'll see you on the next show.
1: This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit C-SuiteRadio.com.